corruption was on the basis of the political culture for a very long time. Of course, the current debate uh, associates corruption to a specific political party or to a specific economic sector, but indeed it has been part of the political culture since the beginning, since the colonization. That's Swalma Rosa. She's the Vice President of the Government Relations Institute, a think tank based in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And this is the Emerging Markets Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Swalma holds a PhD in political science and government. And today we're going to be discussing a wide range of topics, including the government affairs industry in Brazil, the rise of President Bolsonaro, corruption, bribery, and Operation Car Wash, fiscal reform in Brazil, investing in the country, and brief insights into the agricultural and tech sectors. Good morning, Swelma. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, It's good to have you here. Let's just go straight into it. Perhaps uh, you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your current position at the Government Affairs Institute and what that's all about. Hi, Ben. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation. I'm Swama Rosa. I'm the Vice President of the Government Affairs Institute, which is a Brazilian think tank that has been studying, publishing and pushing the reputational agenda around the government affairs practice in the country, but also supporting professionals to increase their capacity to deliver. So we provide training, we have a number of courses, workshops, we produce contents and benchmark on lobbying regulation, um, advocacy strategy, government relations activities. Um, We have been very active in the country trying to move the the needle and, and improve the practice in, in Brazil. I am an international relations bachelor and PhD in political science. Half of my career, I was at the government side, at the federal government in Brazil. And later on, I moved to the private sector as a government affairs liaison. So how develops or how mature is the government affairs profession or industry in Brazil? And has it been changing over the last, let's say, 10 years? The practice came with the multinational companies, especially those American companies, in which they were much more used to and to have such a professional back home at the state. In the last 10 years, we have almost tripled the number of government affairs professionals. We just run a census of government affairs professionals in Brazil, and we have published the annuary. And in it, we have 500 identified working either at companies or trade associations or consultancy firms. The car wash investigation has changed drastically the way private and public sector is partnering in the country. And I see it's a very positive trend. So the whole compliance, integrity and ethics debate is around here. Most companies have implemented their ethics and compliance policies. Those companies under investigation or are probably monitored by DOJ, SEC, most of them. Even being Brazilian, they were U.S. issuers, so subjected to those regulations. And that has been changing the way the country and the profession has been developed. I would say, as a summary, in the last 
five years, the country and the profession has changed drastically in a very, very positive way. So there's a couple of questions I want to ask you related to that. And I'm glad you brought up uh, Operation Car Wash because that has been the dominant news out of Brazil the last few years. And it's obviously led to the rise of uh, the current president, Bolsonaro. Before we touch on that, perhaps can you explain for us what exactly does a government affairs officer do? Well, the corporate affairs or government affairs or institutional affairs professional, it's the liaison between companies and the public sector, mostly working around either the executive power or the legislative power to bring information and improve the state to build better public policies and regulations. So most of the activity relies on meeting with public authorities, sharing information about how regulation impact business. Regularly, those government affairs professionals they work as a pre-competitive strategy through trade association in which they address what would be beneficial as public policy or regulation towards the entire industry. For the chemical industry, for instance, uh, currently the Brazilian Trade Association of Chemical Industry is working around chemical management regulation. Europe already has a regulation in place for over 10 years, which the REACH regulation, but Brazil until now doesn't have. So the industry believe it is important to build on and help and support the debate. So it's mostly that, mainly the dialogue arena are either formal forums of consultation. Most of the executive branch uh, ministries or different at different level has specific forums for dialogue where they invite the industry but also the civil society uh, unions to have different perspective on how public policy would or is impacting the overall economy and society as, as, as a whole. That paints a quite a positive picture of the role of government affairs. And I I believe that there is a definitely a need for that dialogue between industry and the government. However, maybe you could, and this I guess leads into the Operation Car Wash conversation, is there a negative side to this relationship as well? Well, lobbying has been perceived as negative and, and the concept has been influenced by that in a sort of way, but it's party of, of, of the overall democratic activity of consultation on group of interest to bring their petition um, to the administration. What is car wash is about and many other corruption cases, it's illegal. So we should call that criminals, not lobbyists. And that's something that we have been working very hard at the IHELGAV, which is the Government Affairs Institute I volunteer at. Those who are not complying with the legal framework and those who are bribing, those who are using traffic of influence, those professionals, they are not lobbyists, they are not government affairs professionals, they are just criminals and they should be treated as such. Right, right. 
let's perhaps just spend a moment to go over that uh, particular case for those perhaps listening that aren't aware of it. From my understanding, I mean, it was a very sophisticated affair where we had something like eight or 10 Brazilian corporations effectively in a cartel to um, pitch on projects coming from Petrobras, where there would be sort of no competition between them and they were having inflated contracts and providing kickbacks to the governments for those favorable contracts. Is that roughly what it was? It is precisely what it was, an infrastructure um, sector, mainly among the big, uh, largest infrastructure company in the country. They were negotiating directly with the government which project they would take in. And the investigation process started as a money laundry investigation on exchange dollar real, which is the Brazilian currency, money laundry nationally and internationally. And as the investigation process started, they started to understand how the negotiation process to each project was going on and how the financial mechanism was designed in a way to receive the money and to take that out of the country so it could be uh, laundry washed. Right. And we're still seeing the repercussions of that whole affair play out in Brazil now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the investigation up to now has uh, investigated almost 500 people. We have had 18 companies involved. We have had more than 30 different corporate executives imprisoned. We have had three governors of Rio de Janeiro imprisoned. I mean, it's, it's still going on because it's too many projects. Remember that Brazil in the last decade had a number of huge events. The Olympics game, the World Cup of, of soccer, and many others, uh, huge events that demanded a number of infrastructure investments. So they are going project by project, but they are also going through different networks. And each network, it's, it's an entire investigation by itself. So, yeah, it's still going on. Just like this week, somebody else was imprisoned. And, and that's actually what drove Bolsonaro to this, uh, the current position as president, from unknown House of Representatives to president, the car wash and the opposition to the Labour Party, that's what made him project himself and that's what shifted the elections last year. Right. I want to uh, open up that conversation on corruption generally in Brazil and also about what it's done to the Brazilian economy. We're going to come on to that in a little bit. But since we've already brought up Bolsonaro, let's speak about the president. Uh, he's obviously, as we speak today, I think still in hospital on the recovery checkup from the stabbing he took during the campaign. But what I'd like to do is perhaps if you could tell us a little bit about Bolsonaro's rise, because he's been a, a senator for Rio de Janeiro for decades for his essentially career outside of the military, and he was an outside candidate for the presidency. So perhaps you could explain us a bit about his rise to power there. Bolsonaro was one deputado, House representative for over 20 years, almost 30, 27. And he was isolated, unknown, and 
he target specifically the militaries and the police. So he had a very small agenda around security and supporting those corporations. And that's where his vote came from. He was born in Sao Paulo, but he was elected in Rio. He was a former military. He was absolutely unknown until he started leading a very controversial debate during the impeachment process, Tilma, the former president impeachment process, opposing her, but strongly claiming against the Labour Party and the entire Marxist uh, communist approach of it. So he started campaigning quietly since the impeachment process and not only until early 2018, the political analyst was aware of that maybe his candidacy would be a relevant one. Until the beginning of the election campaign, which in Brazil was in August last year, no one really believed he would become president because he is very confrontational and noisy mm-hmm. in, the, in his positions. But as the election progressed, he started to become a viable candidate and this tape, the attack in one of his campaign events, that's probably what was final to elect him president. But his position and the reason he raised is this anti-corruption sentiment that the country and that the electors, the voters had raised it because of the whole car wash process and fed by the impeachment process as well. So the country needed something new. The voters were eager to have a, a newcomer and they saw 30 years politician as a newcomer because he wasn't known at all. So that's what it's behind. And now it's easier to read the scenario because last year at the same uh, September, probably we would being having a very different conversation on Bolsonaro's capacity of, of getting the elections. He was perceived by the voters as a newcomer because he was very unknown to the country, although he had three decades of experience in, in politics. But that was this necessity that the Brazilians had after seeing so much coming out out of the car wash investigations through the impeachment process. The country was actively on the streets for years and they needed something new. Well, that's at least what we, uh, the reads from inside, because if you consider the outside external influence to it, Bolsonaro has also mimetized it much of the Trump's election uh, campaign, including the tone, the noise, the confrontational behavior, and also uh, the Twitter uh, strategy. So the communication strategy was also copied by what was going on in the state during Trump's campaign. So this combination, it's probably what brought him to power. Right. So it's an interesting story in and of itself. And from that, I'd like to 
talk about corruption in Brazil more generally, because this does affect, obviously, the kind of things we are talking about, which is business in Brazil and foreign investment in Brazil. I mean, corruption in Brazil is not something new, and it's not something that just happened in, in the last five or six years. It's actually kind of endemic in Brazil, if I understand correctly. Can you talk a bit about the nature of corruption in business and bribery in business more generally in Brazil? Well, yes, I would say Brazil, as most uh, developing countries, didn't have for a long time strong institutions that would prevent corruption. So corruption was on the basis of the political culture for a very long time. Of course, the current debate uh, associates corruption to a specific political party or to a specific economic sector, but indeed it has been part of the political culture since the beginning, since the colonization. But as we reinforced the institutions in the later, in the last years, the better we improve its capacity not only to investigate, but also to bring to justice the car wash process and the Petrobras process should be perceived, at least at my reading, as a very positive circumstance because it only happened because the institutions were strong. In no other time in the country, we could have the public prosecutor and the federal police working together on an investigation against a administration that was in power. I mean, this is, of course, the whole process increased the perception of, of corruption, but indeed it is the opposite. It's the institutions being capable of investigation and administration in power. This is something that has never happened. That's the beauty of it. The point here is how much those institutions are still be vested of power and enforcement capacity and how much this is going to change the political culture in the country. That's the question for the future. Right. I mean, that's a very interesting point, the way you speak about the institutions able to uh, sort of fight back against something that's been there for decades, if not centuries. So I guess that's a positive aspect of the whole scenario that we're speaking about. But what I'd like to ask you about now really is moving into more of the conversation about business and the economy in Brazil. Obviously, the economy in Brazil has taken a hit over the last few years, and that's probably due to a number of different factors. And maybe you can explain a bit about that as well. But sort of post-operation car wash, I know that it's still uh, in progress, but after the uncovering of the uh, bribery and corruption scandal over the last two and three years, what effect has that had firstly on the economy in Brazil uh, and also on consumer confidence? I could summarize it by raising two specific impacts. The first one is infrastructure investment has been the driver of the Brazilian GDP growth for a long time. If we go back to the economic crisis of 2008, Brazil was one of the countries that was not heavily affected. Indeed, the economy kept growing and somehow the economy captured the opportunity of having the states and Europe and other countries into an economic crisis. Just before that, we had the peak of commodities prices, which led to 
almost five years of meaningful growth in the country. But as the car wash investigation came into light and those companies that were driving the implementation of those infrastructure investments, this is something that hugely impacted immediately the economy. At the other side, we had this whole political turmoil that led to the impeachment, a vice president that was indeed close to all those situations come to power, but the country needed some sort of political stability. So he remains in power. He tries to implement reforms or at least to, to hold the political instability in order to prevent the whole impact in the economy. But he is not very successful. Mm-hmm. So the country goes through a economic crisis driven or generated by the political instability. So we're talking about Michelle Temer here, correct? Yeah, we are talking about Michelle Temer, who used to be the vice president and for the last two years became president of Brazil between 2016 and 2018. If you look the numbers on GDP, you're going to note that the impeachment year, which is 2015, it's the lower peak, the lower level, and then we start coming back. But at somehow we don't grow, we just hold to a zero ground the, the GDP and the economic growth. Expectation were deposited in the new administration. And this whole propaganda around the, the Ministry of the Economy, which is a superpower minister because he combined five different ministries into one to be able to move fast uh, through economic reforms aiming to impact the growth numbers, the GDP growth. He has been Paulo Guedes, the super powerful minister. He was choose during the campaign. He was the economic promise for Bolsonaro candidacy, and he is delivering what he promised. Only those reforms take time. We just approved the pension reform. The possible pension reform, it could be done, but it was approved. We are starting now a tax reform. He's working very hard to open the trade. And Brazil is very known for being a protectionist country in terms of trade. It has a very small share of the overall trade flow, the global trade flow considering to the size of the economy. So he's pushing this new agenda, but the response in terms of growth, it's still low because the investment capacity at the public side, it's non-existent due to a fiscal debt in both state level and federal level. And he's still trying to build confidence in the market to bring in private investments. So this is currently his main goal, bring to the country private investments. Right. And and that's a lot of what, if you take the rhetoric outside of Bolsonaro's campaign, I mean, one of the central thrusts, firstly, was anti-corruption, but the second one was making Brazil more business friendly and opening Brazil to free trade. In terms of that, what have we seen concrete so far in these past uh, seven, eight months? Well, concrete only the tax reforms and the 
proposition in one side, which is more led by the Congress itself than the executive power. The pension reform, which should be credited to Michel Temer administration, because the package that was approved, it's very close to the package that Michel Temer built during his administration. We have had trade facilitation chains because it's a sort of regulation that does need Congress to, to be approved. And they just approved in the Congress what they call liberal economy package, which is a number of concepts and in small changes in, in bureaucracy that may lead mainly to impact, not a huge one, but at least some impact. If we go back to the former administration, the two years Michel Temer administration, it was very effective in terms of improving bureaucracy or reducing bureaucracy, and that impacted the Brazil's position at the doing business index of the World Bank. Okay. They change it, and then that was effective. But until now, they have been doing implementing, but we don't have outcomes yet. Right. Or at least measurables when. The pension reform consideration is obviously quite key. Perhaps you can explain a bit about what that fundamentally means if you break it down, and how does that affect companies operating, either local companies or foreign companies coming into Brazil? How does it affect companies operating in the country? If I understand it, the second part of this question is, if labor laws are quite rigid in Brazil for companies to hire staff in Brazil, partly due to the amount of taxes which are involved, can you sort of clarify that whole situation for us a bit? Oh, sure. Indeed, the labor code in Brazil was built in the 40s. So it was to protect, heavily protect the laborers. But a last administration during Michel Temer administration, we had one first round of labor reform. It was the possible reform. So it created an environment for outsourcing, for temporary hiring, or for hiring by a specific amount of hours, which was not possible previously in the country. But they didn't touch the taxation around it, which it's almost for every dollar a Brazilian uh, labor receives as payment, the company pays another dollar as taxation. That's the overall situation. But currently, what is the goal? It's to reduce the tax over hiring. So uh, it has not yet been approved. It is in process. It's a high priority because not only flexibility in terms of which sort of contract one company could have in terms of, of workforce, and that has improved already. Now, the new front is how to reduce the labor cost in terms of tax. And this is in the proposition of the, the tax reform and yet to be approved. Yeah, that's the overall context. It's in progress, has improved, but there is still a long way to go. I would like to just ask a couple more questions, really. And I, I want to ask you particularly about two things. One is to give us an overview of how the political structure in Brazil, if I understand correctly, Brazil has a 
dozens of political parties. So I'd like a better understanding of how the political system is structured in Brazil. And the second thing, and I guess we'll finish on this last question, is to talk about, I'd like to talk about some of the positive things that Brazil has to offer. Well, Brazil is a federation. As such, we have three levels of administration, the municipal, state and federal levels. And each level has their own responsibilities according to the constitutions. And each level has their own capacity in terms of taxation. We have 34 political parties. Those political parties divided in, in, in major three groups, the lefty parties, in which the most representative is still the Labour Party. It's actually the second largest party at the Congress currently. We have what we call in Portuguese Centrão, which is the central left and central right political parties. It's a huge number of different small parties that combine the interests according to the subject under analysis and specific interests during election campaigns. And this is the mass that moves either to support the administration or to oppose the administration according to different topics during votes at the Congress. And then we have at the right wing of it, and some in the country may call them even extreme right, this new political party that has surpassed the traditional PSDB that used to be perceived as right or at least as opposition to the Labour Party, the PSL, the Social Liberal Party that belongs to President Bolsonaro. This party it used to be absolutely irrelevant. No one ever heard about him. But with Bolsonaro, they became the largest party at the Congress. They don't have identity yet. They are learning to behave as a party in opposition to the Labour Party that has a very strong ideology, very strong alignment, and, and holds strong positions together. So because we have this huge amount of party, a building majority at the Congress, it's one of the most difficult effort anyone can try to have. Traditionally, until Bolsonaro administration, the way that a president would try to build coalition to make sure that he had the capacity to approve the reviews of law he needed for his administration would be by dividing the ministries to different parties. And all those parties would become part of the governmental coalition and that would be how they would build the majority. It's not the case anymore with Bolsonaro. He does have politicians and ministries position as ministers, but it's not associated specifically to uh, coalition building. So this is very hard. 
because all political analysts are trying to understand how this behavior affects the outcome of the votes at the Congress. Currently, the one who actually leads the majority at the Congress has been the president of both the House and the Senate. And that's very peculiar because uh, traditionally, ever since the new democracy in, in 85, the executive power was the leading power. But somehow for this administration, the legislative branch has a huge capacity to hold and lead its own agenda. And Rodrigo Maia, which is the president of uh, the House of Representatives, and Davio Columbri, which is the president of the Senate, they have been the one actually controlling how majority behaves toward specific agendas. Okay. I said this is quite an unusual situation. Do you view that then as a positive, unusual situation? Well, as a political scientist, I always consider power, independence and strength um, positive. Having one of the three branches as active legislative and judiciary too strong, it's bad for democracy or for checks and balances. The rise of legislative branch with its own capacity, it's new, different, hard to read, but certainly positive in the overall check and balance against the executive branch and, and, and also the judiciary. So, yeah, I would say positively. Maybe I'm too optimist. Right. I guess that's still a very young administration, so I guess that's uh, to be to be continued. Oh, yes. Um, so, let's speak about Brazil as an investment destination. That's ultimately what uh, I really want to, to talk about. Brazil is a huge country with massive uh, mineral resource wealth, uh, human capacity. Tell me about why someone should come in and Invest in Brazil? Well, Brazil has been lately changing a number of regulatory environment that would be uh, huge opportunities in specific sectors. The one I'd like to bring to attention is oil and gas. For uh, ever since the 40s in the late century, Petrobras have been a monopoly in every aspect of since the extraction of oil up to distribution. And now this monopoly has been broken. Not only that, there are divestitures of Petrobras. They are living in specific businesses. All that is currently in the market trying to be sold. And there's a number of oil and gas companies that has been working on and already bought some of those divestitures at Petrobras. So oil and gas is certainly a new trend because of this change in the monopoly system in the country. The other thing that has been changing, it's, it's the mining sector. There are, as you know, a number of community, indigenous community in the country. There are a number of, most of the mining opportunities close to the Amazon region. Currently, there's still mining opportunities in Minas Gerais State also, and by state, but mostly 
in the Amazon region states. There are some chains in facilitating international investors to invest in mining operations, and there are a number of minerals available and, and a huge stock of it. So this is something uh, to be considered. Um, Valley, the largest mining company country, uh, has been facing safety challenges in their operations. They had two major events that made them unable to invest in new operations and try to 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 improve their manufacturing capacity now. So this is certainly another area. The gas market, it's uh, opening now in Brazil. There's a new market regulation for natural gas. This will change drastically the cost, not only of, of availability, but also in terms of distribution. That might lead to opportunities in sectors such as petrochemical, fertilizers, and all sorts of industry that is heavily dependent on natural gas, either as a feedstock or energy. There are a number of upcoming privatization processes one of them, it's on in the electoral segment, the Electrobras. It's uh, it's also being prepared to be privatized. It's also something to consider. Other than that, uh, the country is trying to attract uh, startups and technology, also sort of technological companies. That's also part of their priorities in terms of, of investment. It's coming on October 10th. And 11th in Sao Paulo, a governmental um, event called Brazil Investment Forum. And there they're trying to sell the projects they have in portfolio and the investment opportunities also. At infrastructure, the only thing they have in pipeline are naturally PPP opportunities. So they do have packages on water and sanitation and also in, in roads and, and ports too. There's this, I would say, they, they highlight. Other than that, most sectors are just waiting to perceive the impacts of the new administration measures on economic policy. Okay, the big major sectors there you've covered that most people would be familiar with uh, in Brazil. Certainly, resource extraction is uh, something that Brazil is uh, well known around the world for. Perhaps what it's less known for is any uh, development of any technology sector, which you sort of touched on there as well. And I guess I'd like to finish this conversation perhaps talking about the opportunities for startups and the environment for young entrepreneurs. Yep. Well, later in the country, three major groups of startups have proved viable by leading unicorn startups. One, it's what we call agrotech. I mean, Brazil is the largest producer of commodity and most technology around commodity production. It's heavily needed, all those related to climate analysis, crop previsibility, planning. There's a huge amount of technological development around that. And Brazilian agribusiness capacity, it's 
heavily based in technology. It's large producers, not a small farms. And this is an area that we have been seeing a number of investments. Israel companies, startups are certainly targeting the market, but there are a number of Brazilian too. So all sort of technology to provide services for agribusiness is certainly a lead. Mobility, which is a challenge because of the all large cities. So there is still opportunities around that and mobility associated to security because of the violence level of, of major cities, large cities. So it's both together. And the third one is fintechs. Brazil bank system was heavily dependent on technology because it was an early adapter of technology because of the high inflation rates during the 80s and early 90s. So a number of new technologies on how to manage portfolio was developed in Brazil beforehand in comparison to the state and to most European countries. There's a sort of capacity in which the country is recognized for. So fintechs, it's also a zone and opportunity that has been growing and there's a number of national international fintechs operating here and growing fast. Great. That sounds positive and I'm, I'm glad we can finish this conversation on a, on a positive uh, note. So I'll take the opportunity to say thank you very much for joining me, Swarma. Thank you. But it was really great chatting to you and, and I hope we can catch up in a few months to see how those changes in progress has come to term. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Once again, I would like to thank Swell Morosa for joining us today on the Emerging Markets Podcast. The podcast is produced by Peacock Advisory Group. Thanks for listening.